If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open them this morning with me to the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea. If you have a copy of God's Word, you don't know where Hosea is. It's near the end of the Old Testament, the first of what is known as the Minor Prophets. And today we begin a month-long break from our study of the Gospel of John, since this is the first Sunday of Advent. And in one sense, all this month, we are going to be doing uh, what we do every week here at Ascension, week in and week out, and that is we desire to see Jesus through His Word. But as you know, and as is traditionally done, this is a season where uh, we have an opportunity to see Jesus from uh, a different angle than we normally would see him. So last year, those of you who were here might remember during Advent, we unpacked one verse, Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the year before, we unpacked the first verses, the first chapters of uh, the book of Matthew. And the year before that, uh, we unpacked the book of Ruth, that incredible love story. And I could go back and back and back. Well, this year, since we've been in the New Testament for a while, I wanted to go uh, to the Old Testament again uh, in this month of Advent to be reminded that all of the Scriptures, that all of the Bible is ultimately about Him. And though we're New Testament Christians, though we're New Covenant believers, uh, we don't just use this part of our Bible. We use the whole entire Bible to see our Savior. Jesus is the one through the first century Jews that we have been looking at through the life of Jesus in the Gospel of John. He is the one that those Jews had longed for though they failed to see Him. He is the promise of God spoken all throughout the Old Testament by, by shadows and by types for generations upon generations. He is the one who has come and is coming again. And so for the next few weeks, we are going to look at and we're going to celebrate Jesus through the writings of the prophets, and specifically the minor prophets, those prophets that we don't necessarily go to a lot. The prophets that are called minor, not because they are less important than the other ones, but because they're smaller in size and in length. And so today we begin with one of the most stunning and incredible stories in God's story to save us. It's one of my favorites. We're going to be jumping around quite a bit. You'll see the beginning passage on the screen behind me. Uh, but if you do have a copy of God's Word, keep it open. Uh, we're going to be flipping around to various passages as we look at uh, the message of the book of Hosea uh, this morning. So, uh, with that introduction, if you are able, uh, I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Reading, just to start us off, Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Listen as I read. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man as an, and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for fifteen shekels of silver, and a homer, and a lethek of barley. 
And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to His goodness in the latter days. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. Amen. Please go ahead and be seated. I'm not good at remember movie, remembering movie quotes, but I know some of you are. This actually is a movie quote that I probably would have gotten. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Any guesses? All right, yes. Many of you know the name. Samwise Gamgee. One of the most memorable and lovable characters of Tolkien's classic work, The Lord of the Rings. Samwise was Frodo's gardener who eventually becomes Frodo's companion on this grand and dangerous adventure. Tolkien actually calls Samwise Gamgee uh, the chief hero of the story, which is interesting in a story that is full of warriors. Warrior elves and warrior dwarves. Tolkien calls him this because of his bravery, despite his small stature as a hobbit. And not only that, but because of his loyalty, his dedication to his friend Frodo. Their relationship is at the center of the story as Samwise Gamgee does everything he can to keep Frodo from the evil power of the ring and on the path to destroy it once and for all. It's a great story. We love stories like this. In part because we want people like this in our lives. Most certainly in our marriages. Not only that, but if we're honest with ourselves, I think we struggle with loyalty ourselves. This morning as we open up the story of the book of Hosea, this is a story of loyalty, of faithfulness, of pursuit, of love like no other. And all of this from the account of a wacky, dysfunctional marriage. And we could spend weeks and weeks in this book, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, but I just want to spend a few minutes this morning meditating on three truths from this book. This is the 30,000 foot view of the book of Hosea. Three truths that all have to do with Jesus. That baby born in a manger. The one in whom the promises that are given to us here in this book fully take shape. And the first truth is this. Jesus is your pursuing lover. Jesus is your pursuing lover. 
You see, at the center of this book, at the center of this story, is a picture. And it's a picture of you, it's a picture of me, and it's a picture of a pursuing, richly redeeming God who loves you relentlessly. Let's get our bearings a little bit in the book. For some of you, you've never even read the book of Hosea, which is fine. For some of you, you don't remember reading the book of Hosea, though you're sure you did at some point. Following the reign of Solomon in Israelite history, God's people had split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And Hosea is a prophet to the north in the latter half of the 8th century. God's people have been experienced during this time a golden era of sorts, one uh, with widespread peace and widespread prosperity, but with that peace and prosperity, as so often does, came wandering. Wandering from God's law. Wandering from God's rightful worship. And the consequences of this for God's people and the people of Hosea's day is that they will fall to their greatest enemy to the north, which was at that time Assyria. Hosea speaks, as many of the prophets did, to say this is coming, but this won't be the end of the story. And so in order to illustrate both Israel's unfaithfulness to God as well as Yahweh, the God of Israel, his response to his people, he asks Hosea to do something crazy. Now the prophets have been asked to do crazy things before. To eat scrolls and to do big drama productions before the people of God. But what is asked of Hosea is extraordinary. The Lord tells him to marry an adulterous woman. Not just a woman who might commit adultery, but a woman who has already proven herself to be unfaithful. The greatest gift of human relational intimacy, and the Lord is asking His servant to jump into an absolutely disastrous situation. But he wanted his prophet to not just preach a message, but to embody it, to live it, to experience its pain in order that its truth might be proclaimed with that much more power. The Bible gives us a lot of different images to describe our relationship to the Lord. King, servant, Father, son, daughter. Well, here in the book of Hosea, the image is husband and wife. A marriage. A commitment between two parties. And in this marriage, Hosea represents the Lord. But more importantly, here at the outset, Israel represents Gomer. The woman, the one who is seeking satisfaction and fulfillment from the world and from those around her. And even after a marriage to Hosea and its resulting security and and stability that she feels, no doubt, she still wanders. 
Her heart is still restless. She still fills her nights with other lovers rather than her husband. You see, the point of Hosea, brothers and sisters, is that I am Gomer. You are Gomer. We spend our lives so easily and so often in the arms of other loves. Whether it be success, whether it be comfort, whether it be reputation, whether it be things. And I know you because I know myself. You're, you're not interested in wrecking the marriage. Just a little flirting here and there. Some satisfaction elsewhere. Just, just for a moment. You and I are Gomer. And the message of this book, the truth about our God, the promise fulfilled in Jesus is this. He is your pursuing lover. He is the pursuing husband that you and I need. The Jesus is never mentioned in the book of Hosea. Not by name anyway, but he calls himself the bridegroom in Mark chapter 2. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them, he says to his disciples. Jesus is the husband who, when faced with unfaithfulness, doesn't merely divorce and give up, but he pursues, he protects. Listen to Hosea chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Then the Lord says, Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns. And I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. As David the psalmist says, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And do you see what the Lord does here? He protects us from ourselves. Right? We do this all the time. Those of us who are parents or those of us who have been parented, which is everyone in this room. Well, we want our children to obey from their hearts, when they're younger, they don't know any better, right? And, and so we put up gates for them. We put crazy knobs on the doors that they can't spin. We put annoying clips on the cabinets so they can't open the cabinets. And we do all that because they don't know any better. But the Lord, to those of us who know better in patience and in perseverance, He protects us from ourselves. He blocks off all harm. And not only that, but He woos us. Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 
And following, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards, making the valley of Accor a door of hope. And there she shall come. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth and at the times when she came out of the land of Egypt. This is not some kind of desperate wooing that... Yahweh is doing. This is not God being needy or being backed into a corner of loneliness. This is God delighting in His people and desiring that they come back and return to Him. Remember the end of Zephaniah. That's one of the minor prophets we're going to look at later this month where it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. As I was thinking about how this works itself into my life, I was thinking about those times when in my sin and in my flesh, I have reached for that sin and it's been out of my reach. And I say, thank you, God. This is grace. Thank you for pursuing me and for protecting me even from myself. Right? This is what we pray for. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is your pursuing lover. Oh, but our experience tells us that sometimes God does allow us to bear the consequences of our decisions. He does allow us to bear the consequences of our sins. We reach out for sin's shallowness and lies and we end up feasting on it. What then? Well, the pursuit hasn't ceased. It's just changed focus. And that's the second truth I want you to see this morning. Is that Jesus came to bear your shame. Jesus came to bear your shame. Chapter 3 of the book of Hosea has been called one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. And for good reason. Let me read it. It's not long. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. This is the verse I, this is the chapter I read, or the, the verses I read at the beginning. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethek of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for as many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be with you. We started there at the beginning of this sermon. We skipped a fair bit in the story. Hosea has married Gomer. They have had some children by this point. One has been conceived in the marriage. The others have been conceived outside of the marriage in sin. And now apparently Gomer has flown the coop. She's gone. The consequences of her sin have caught up with her. And she finds herself naked on an auction block. In the story, we don't know how she got there. She had become indebted somehow, indebted to the point of slavery. And for for Hosea, this man tasked with this incredible responsibility by the Lord, this real man with a heart, with emotions, 
You can imagine, maybe he thought, well, this is my way out. The Lord asked me to do this. She ran away. Now she's for sale. Forget about it. I'm done. I'm washing my hands of this situation. But God says, no. Buy her back. And you can imagine the scene up on the auction block for all to see. Tradition tells us that slaves would be stripped down to nothing in order to show what they've got, right? Muscular bodies for the men, curves for the women. And she was likely standing there in not the greatest of conditions. And you can imagine the scene, the auctioneer crying out, five shekels! Who will give me five shekels for this woman? I see five. How about seven? Seven for the girl. Do I hear ten? Ten shekels from the man in front. Going once. Going twice. Fifteen shekels. And a homer of barley from the prophet in the back. You can see the tabloid headlines. Prophet buys back harlot wife. This was Hosea's moment to slip into the shadows, right? But instead, what does he do in obedience to the Lord? He bears some of her shame. Without regard for himself, he speaks into her broken state and he buys her back. Hosea's cost was minimal. Not even the going price for a slave in that day, but the Lord's cost was His Son. His Son's life. Jesus came to bear your shame. One of the beautiful pictures about this, one of the beautiful things about this auction scene is that in in one sense, Jesus is both Hosea and Gomer in this scene. He's Hosea as he bears the shame of the purpose, of the purchase and what it cost him, but he's also Gomer in the shame of her nakedness, of her sin, the sin that Jesus bore, your sin and my sin on the cross. Jesus came to bear your shame. One final thing I want you to see briefly from this book, this story this morning, and it's this. Jesus came to restore you to the family. Jesus came to restore you to the family. The fracture of unfaithfulness in a family is not insignificant. In fact, it's oftentimes insurmountable. Some of you have experienced this in the broken world that we live in. The message of the book of Hosea is that Jesus came to carry the burden and to carry you back to the Father. Because you can't get there yourself. I want to close with two passages. Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And then Hosea chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. 
The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them, and I fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. My people are bent on turning from me. And though they call out to the Most High, He shall not raise them up at all. How can I give up on you, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. Those promises first spoken to Israel are the promises of restoration following this punishment, this exile that they'll experience by the nation of Assyria. But in its fullness, it's about a restoration that can only be accomplished through Jesus. Right, Chapter 11 begins by calling Israel the Son, called out of Egypt, but, but He is not the true Son. The true Son is spoken of by Matthew in Matthew 2 where he writes after Joseph and Mary and the infant Jesus flee from Herod to Egypt. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my Son. You see, the message and the promise of the prophet is that there is one coming in whom righteousness dwells. Justice will be poured out on Him. Steadfast love and mercy will be shown through Him. That is the bride price that the Lord is willing to pay in order to dwell with you and with I. And it's because of Jesus that our unfaithfulness is not meant with banishment. It's because of Jesus that our marriage is not just held together, but intimacy is restored. Chapter 2, verse 20, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. This is the Gospel. And this is what Advent is all about. The fulfillment and fullness of a promise that was longed for for generations, for ages upon ages. Brothers and sisters, God wants you to know, God wants you to be reminded this morning that you have a pursuing lover whose pursuit of you brought Him to earth, to a manger. And He came not just to be cute, not just to leave you an example, but He came to bear your shame, my shame. He came to be the elder brother who restores us to the family who reveals to us the heart of the Father for His people. You see, this kind of pursuit, this kind of love, this is life-changing. And this is the message we have. So may we rest in it. May we rejoice in it. And may we respond to it this day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your servant, His experience 
is unimaginable to us what you asked of him as a picture, a living, moving picture of your heart and your love and your pursuit and the lengths that you will go to to dwell with us. Oh, Father, may this story, may this season enlarge in us Your love. And as a result of that, may it enlarge in our lives our obedience and our desire to be united to You, Lord Jesus. We pray all of this with thanksgiving in Your great name. Amen.